Welcome back, everyone, to Classics, a podcast from Kena Academy. I'm Andrew Sorneman, your host. This episode is the second part of an interview with Tom Wurge, Professor Emeritus of English at the University of Notre Dame. Professor Wurge and I are discussing James Agee and his classic American novel, A Death in the Family. As we continue our discussion, Professor Wurge has just recounted the beautiful image of the butterfly that appears at the funeral of Jay Follett. So we are vermi, we are, we are worms, we are, but we're worms born to form the angelic butterfly. It's a great image. And, and Andrew telling that story <clears throat> stands in contrast in almost a hopeful way uh, to his anger, to his bitterness, yes. uh, his, yes. his rants against the other members of the family, and his rants against faith. Yes. And, uh, and you know, it doesn't look very hopeful, this, this poor boy who's lost his father and what has he got? His mother's fairly confused. His yes. aunt is rather dark and grim. His, yeah, his grandfather is a skeptic. His mother is deaf. <laughs> and his uncle yes. is in a, you know, really angry and, and, and kind of confused, too. Right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And so there's the story yeah. of the butterfly, and it, it does seem to lend some edge of hope at the end of the story. Yeah, I think it really does. And also, I think the hope also springs from... Um, Andrew's uh, willingness to tell this to Rufus, you know, to tell him the story. Yeah. He, he takes Rufus into his confidence, you know. The, the others really don't, in a sense. Of course, they're, and, uh, I mean, they're kind to him. They're, they're not horrific. I, I, I don't mean that they're brushing him away altogether, but you can understand that that's where the impatience comes from. They're, they're all trying to deal with their sorrow in their own way, and I think with... Uh, uh, with it, the importance of Christmas is very great for Andrew because I think you know he's thinking back to um, uh, to his own faith and to his own, his own upbringing and to the um, uh, the constant resonance you know of Christmas yeah. carols. So, so you're referring to the scene where um, the family having gathered uh, at Mary and, and Jay's home. You know, they spend quite a bit of the night talking through things, and and then he walks his parents back to their house. So, and, and on the way home, he's got the Christmas Carol, you know, rolling through his head. Yes, yeah. right. So there's a nice tension there between uh, the poetic and, and lovely and and uh, nostalgic quality of the hymn on the one hand, right. and the and the the darkness of the night. The, the, the sorrow, the loss. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think I think uh, uh, I think Ag, you know, uh, that was always part of the tension in him. You know, Father Fly said that there is no way that you ever could call Ag irreligious. He simply wasn't. And he, there were times when he was confused, certainly to be sure. But he looked back on that time with his family as such a beautiful time that, um, and he had so much, such great love for his mother, you know. Now, his father, you know, well, you know how it is with fathers and mothers are different, you know, and they, and they each um, bring something special to us. But Rufus so valued those walks with his dad, you know, because uh, he felt, uh, made him feel sort of heroic and made him feel, you know, um, uh, as if he were, you know, a big boy, and he he was, you know, he was uh, listening to his to his father in that way, and um, you know, the scenes even where the father um, sings to him, you know, are, are so powerful. I think I, the, whenever I taught it, uh, taught the book, I, you know, we used to try to spend quite a bit of time on 
the nightmares that Rufus has, right? I mean, he's looking and the world is good and it's at night and he's not afraid, but then suddenly he sees these shapes, you know, and, uh, and everything that was um, prosaically good is now becoming terrifying. And so he cries out, right? But you hear the cry, and there's a wonderful moment. I remember being so identifying with this when I became a father, uh, where, uh, you know, the mother says, well, I'll, I'll take care of it, Jay. And it, no, you know, he's calling for me. The father loves being a martyr. They just, I mean, fathers, or at least I did. I mean, because um, mothers are so great with that, you know, they're right there, you know, basically. And whereas fathers, I think, at times have to make a big deal of it. No, you know, I'll, uh, you know, he called out for me and I'll, I'll talk to him and so forth. But but the fact that he would sing, you know, to, to the son and that, that um, uh, and 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 now everything is all right. You're still afraid of the dark, but um, you know that your mother and father are there. You know the king and the queen, as as uh, as Rufus says, and you know that they will protect you always. But the real crying out that he does, I think, is rooted in his knowledge that. They won't always be there. What what you know? What will it be like when your when your dad isn't there anymore? And um, it's a it's a lot to put on the shoulders of, of your mother. Uh, then you know, and, and it's real, right? Because the a kid, a little kid, <clears throat> in his crib <clears throat> or in his bed, will perceive the distance between his room and the, and the 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 family room downstairs where the adults are talking as a huge distance. Absolutely. And uh, almost insurmountable. It's got to be bridged, otherwise the fears are not going to go away. Absolutely. There's no question. So that's sort of the concrete way into sort of a broader experience of the distance between generations, the passing of one life, and and then, you know, the other life trying to carry on and trying to know who you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's very well said. I mean, it's as if there is... an abyss there, and the only way it can be closed uh, closed is by your father coming to you, or or your mother. But the father uh, carries that special that special quality. And as you know, the, the portrayal of the father is so interesting because Jay, f- according to all accounts, they got along very well. Uh, Jay and uh, uh, and and Mary and uh, his mother. Um, in effect, uh, was a believer, and there's no question. You know, she was she was the one who really wanted him to go to um, uh, to uh, the Anglican school, you know, the Episcopal school, and so forth. You're talking about aging now. Yeah, about aging now. Yeah, but the right uh, and um, very interesting. You, you're uh, you are happily and strategically floating between the yes. biography and the and the autobiographical novel here. I, 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 yes, know, even though the names are different They're, in the novel. Right? Yes, they are. But I think that she. Um, yeah, it's so autobiographical. It's one of the most autobiographical um, works I've ever read. The only one that comes up to it is um, uh, A River Runs Through It. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, because there, McLean uses the actual names of yeah. all the people who are in, the, in his biography. I mean, the, the girl that he married uses her, her name. Uh, but, uh, but the novel uh, is so... Um, deeply autobiographical that, you know, we know that A.G. is Rufus. That wasn't, you know, what he was called. It was kind of his middle name. And um, is that a weakness, you think? Because it it seems like, um, you know, we 
of course, it's it's wonderful to learn about an author or an yes. artist, uh, but there's a sense in which the art needs to you know stand on its own. And is there a danger that a death in the family doesn't stand on its own because of the autobiographical weight? That's, that's you know, I don't think so. It could, you could very easily see how it would be a problem, but I, don't, I, I think the novel works mm-hmm. so well. And, and I think part of it, too, is that A.G. Uh, is, when he's talking about Rufus, uh, he can be very objective about him. Too. It's, not, it's not, you know, one of these woe is me stories. You know, my, my father died and left me alone, and I'm floating around here, you know, in this kind of vortex. I don't, I don't think it takes on that tone at all. He's really trying to understand, you know, what's happened, which is always so difficult, right? When you're a kid, you're trying to say, you know, what, you know, what, what's happened and how, and it, it's such, I remember even at college, you know, flying home and thinking, uh, number one, you think this is so unfair, you know, why, why did my dad have to die at 55? That's really young. And that was, of course, at a time when they couldn't do anything for heart victims. I mean, there were no transplants. There were no, um, you know, stents. Just didn't, you know, just wasn't there. And my dad was always hoping that they would find something. But, you know, they would just give you nitro pills. And you would, I can remember my dad driving with him. And he would pull over and he would say, I have to stop here. And he'd take out one of those little pills. And the pills would keep the angina at bay, you know. And But... That's it. Otherwise, you were really waiting for the next one. And um, but at the same time, I remember it's probably a moment of grace. I think, but um, I think that I remember thinking that for every reason I have to be um, angry with God for allowing this to happen, you know, there's an equal reason for being grateful. You know that I had my dad for as long as I did. You know, some kids don't even get that. You know, and uh, like Agee. And so I, I, I think that um, uh, it is that paradox of death, you know, coming to terms with your death and your faith mm-hmm. and not being glib about your faith because it's, it's so horrible, horrible. It was horrible for my mom, you know, and my brother, my younger brother. And uh, it's so uh, indelible. It's so, you know, uh, unforgettable. But on the other hand, you know, he was so courageous, you know, about everything that... Um, I really wanted to take my cue from from that. So I think that when we see Rufus going through all of these um, confusing moments and uncertainties, uh, A.G. is really good about giving us, you know, I think a pretty accurate uh, portrayal of what he was feeling at that time. Uh, It's just that it stands in such terrible contrast to the joy of walking with his father and watching, you know, Charlie Chaplin. The fact that his father's taking him along, I mean, this yeah. is this is a big deal, yeah. you know, than, uh, you know, the hard little man. Uh, so, uh, but, but they say, the people who knew the AGs say that um, the father did have a drinking problem, but he was not an alcoholic. Mm. I mean, they, 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 he liked, liked his drink. No evidence that his, that he was drunk when the car went off the road, which is, yeah. of course, what they tease Rufus about, the yeah. kids. And yeah, there's some gossip about it, but oh, there, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, no concrete evidence. No evidence at all, really, and that he, it, it's very possible he was very tired. Uh, he might have. There, the, 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 it seems to me the one possible evidence that he had a drink or two is that his brother was always drinking. And of yes. course, he's coming from the farm and <clears throat> yes. where he was with his brother and his father and, and right. his family. So, yeah. possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very possible, but not 
it, it, nothing's really made of it, you know. And we know from the from Mary's father that uh, that uh, Jay likes to drive fast. Yes. So there's that right. too. Yes. But it's the cotter pen, and it's it is it's yeah one in a million uh, chances. Yeah. It's, or, it's or, a, and I think too the father. Don't you think, uh, Andrew? We don't spend that much time with the father, but the father has this longing, you know, right for some kind of. Um, Peace or some kind of understanding. You know, remember he thinks about time, go all the way back to Adam, you know, and what what was it like before then? You know, it's that there's that deeply American, excuse me, longing for. Um, it, it's funny. It, it's not a longing for a political utopia because I think Mitterrand, when he came here in 1976, uh, he said that Americans um, are always moving and they're always seeking and they're they're always searching for something. And uh, it's not anything political, he says, because pol- politics can't satisfy what they're looking for. He says, you know, may, maybe they're looking for. Um, the kingdom of God. Maybe they're looking for, and I think that's really what it is. That Jay, that the ache that Jay feels. He loves his wife, right? I mean, oh, so yeah. it's not a, loves her very deeply and pats down the bed, you know, for her. She's she's very moved by that, you know. And um, but somehow uh, there's a degree of maybe loneliness uh, and um, uh, something transcendent that he's searching for. Um, <clears throat> a rough analog would be Harold Arlen. Uh, wrote Over the Rainbow, his Jewish uh, uh, composer. And uh, amazingly, some of the the the, uh, the wise people supposedly didn't, a lot of them didn't want it in the film. They didn't think the the song had anything to do with the with the film. You're talking the, about uh, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Judy Garland singing. Judy Garland song singing. Or, yeah. Right. Okay. So it's Harold Arlen's song. Yeah, and there were people who thought, no, we should cut it. And I'm thinking, that's such a beautiful song. Um, and it so fits, right, with Oz. I mean, she's in this other realm yeah. that she's going to. But um, but I mentioned him because Arlen's relatives in Lithuania were burned alive by the Nazis. Mm. Uh, and they, uh, in the 1930s, they herded the whole, all of the Jews in the town into a barn and they set it on fire. And Arlen, of course, was so appalled. I mean, he was lucky that he had gotten to the, to the United States. Uh, you know, uh, while all that horror of the Holocaust, kind of pre-Holocaust Holocaust was was happening. And uh, no doubt that Arlen wanted that song to reflect his longing for heaven, his longing for peacefulness when everybody would be happy, you know, and when everyone would be with God. That That's really what it reflects. And it turns out that it was Judy Garland's favorite song. She, You know, even at the end of her life, that was the one that she came back to. And, and it's such a beautiful song, you know, and, and Judy Garland sings it so longingly. And so sometimes when I look at what the father says about... Um, you know, sun's going to shine, the wind's going to blow, sugar babe, you know, right? What he sings is hopeful, you know, it's going to be all right, is really what he's telling, uh, uh, what he's telling uh, Rufus. And uh, and any parent, whoever, say, whoever comforts a child <clears throat> and who says, all will be well, it's, it's going, you know, everything is going to be all right, it's invoking a higher vision of reality that, that uh, we really... Um, uh, you're not saying it just as a um, a way of uh, getting the child to stop crying. You believe it, and you know that the um, that uh, that 
love is stronger than death. They say that that's the message of all great fairy tales. Mm. Uh, and I think it's here, too. I think that you, you finish the novel mm. and the love of the people, you know, Mary and, and Hannah and, you know, for all of their deeply flawed characters, like us, all of us, right? Um, there's a great deal of love there. There's a great deal, don't you think? A great oh, yeah. deal of, of tenderness there and um, wanting, even when Anna is very impatient, she obviously loves Mary and, yeah. you know, they, uh, and even Andrew, you know, in his own way, you know, with the anger and everything e- Even in that crazy scene when, you know, they're they're all trying to, to solace Mary and they bring out the whiskey. Yes. And, you know, and she knocks down a, a, what seems to be a couple of tumblers of whiskey right. and, and then, right. and then uh, they think they experience the ghost of Jay in yes. the house, you know. Right. So it's, it's, that's probably the... The scene where uh, my students have experienced the most uh, uh, puzzlement and sometimes doubt and skepticism about the novel, but it, it sure is a, fa- a family moment. I mean, like you said, with all their flaws, with all the yes. family baggage that's in the room at the same time, right. it's still a remarkably uh, tender and, and and a terribly interesting scene. It is. It is absolutely. Yeah, because and, they're real. I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think the ghost. I think the presence of Jay. Um, simply accentuates the mystery of everything. It's really a mystery of death, mm-hmm. the mystery of life, mm-hmm. the mystery of being out there on the front lawn. And uh, when Rufus would say, you know, my mother who was good to me, my, my sister, um, there's such a um, tender connectedness among all the members of the family. It's so beautiful. So that when you do get to that last line about, you know, well, now tell me, it, the way I've always read that, I guess, is that, yeah, that's okay. That That's what a child would think, okay, I have all these people here and they really love me, mm-hmm. but uh, there's always an awareness that life can be precarious. There's always the um, the fear of the dark. There are always, I mean, my brother and I had bunk beds and I said, you probably went through this too, but I still remember horrible moments when I thought somebody was standing like at the edge of the bed because you put a, put a hat on and a coat and it looked like there was a guy there and I and I can still remember I <laughs> still remember trying to act tough yeah. alright who's there you know like I was really up there. and then you'd hide under the covers and I'm thinking now look if this guy is a serial killer yeah. hiding under the covers probably isn't going to go real far you know yeah. it's probably not going to stop well, was it a figment or was it was your brother getting down from the top bunk yeah no it was, it was usually a figment okay. it was usually a figment and then I learned not to put hang coats on yeah, the thing yeah. anyway scared the heck out of me uh, and then, you know but I think that um, so I think that that last um, line about identity which is so poignant uh, which I think you call it that and it's right it's very poignant um, that uh, it's enveloped by the love yeah. of, of the family and um and we take that for granted. I mean, when I was away at college, I never thought my dad was going to die. Yeah. I, I, I never thought he would die, uh, and I wouldn't be there. That was, that still is painful, tremendously painful. But it's absolutely typical of my dad, you know, saying yeah. to my mom, you know, I'll be fine, I'll be back, you know, I'll be out in a few days. And now my brother, Rob, God bless him, we're, we're very close, he lives out in Denver, but um, he thinks my dad was too much of the Viking, you know, he's like, you know, come on, Tom, I mean, you know, it would have been nice if we could have, you know, said goodbye to dad, you know. Um, but on the other hand, you can see where he had beaten it before, and he, he had gone through this before. And, you know, he wasn't trying to cut us out of anything. I think yeah. he was just, you know, thought, really thought that he would uh, 
come home again, you know. Yeah. But that time, and many is the time I saw the ambulance taking my dad, you know, to the hospital, and and he always came back. And um, but uh, but I think that uh, the the thought that Jay is present in that way. Um, uh, that there is a certain kind of profundity there, and I think it just it, it uh, attaches to all the other mysteries of the novel, the butterfly, and the fact that it's uh, Andrew confides in Rufus. He said Rufus is still confused, right at yeah, the very sure. end. I mean, um, and that's why I don't think Ag would ever have been totally and completely happy with the ending. He probably would have been re reworking it forever, like Melville and Billy Budd. You know, Mel Melville never finished Billy Budd, and I don't think. Could have lived for another hundred years. I don't think he would have. And is still wrestling with the same problems, you know, the same paradoxes. I wouldn't want to finish the conversation without touching on a, just a couple more things. Sure. Um, in the uh, my favorite part of the novel is when uh, Jay and Rufus leave the Charlie Chaplin movie and they yep. make their way uh, through the market section of town and they go to that saloon. Right. And uh, they encounter a couple people in the street. They're clearly poor. They're clearly from the River Valley. They're, right. in other words, they're 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 farm people, and uh, they're spending the night in the streets of Knoxville. Uh, so earlier you talked about how Jay clearly has a longing for something transcendent or something sacred. Yeah. Concretely, just in terms of you know raw facts, he definitely has a, a deep pull back to the River Valley too, right? Right. So where do you see? So, and you certainly see that, and he goes to the bar, the saloon, and he wants to meet up with people that he knows, right? Right. Looking down the, the bar and seeing, do I recognize anybody? Right. So, how about that scene in terms of his longing for the sacred? How, how do you see that played out in, in the details of his scene from the movie theater through the saloon scene? Yeah, well, I think that um, I'd, I'd again return to this idea, not wanting to belabor it, but this idea uh, that. Um, Simone Weil so accentuates of attentiveness. You know, I, I, you get the feeling that Jay is very attentive to to others and to uh, and to um, the world. I mean, he knows a lot about the world. Uh, it feels and probably true that he knows a lot more than Mary does. Right? That Mary would be more sheltered in a in a certain way. Uh, but I think that the um, I, I I think you get the feeling that he is. Um, he is deeply reflective. He is very meditative. He, he uh, just that wondering about you know what the world. We go all the way back to Adam, and then what what was before Adam, you know, and how um, right it says something about how um, how far we come, how far we come away from things that are very deep, you know, and very vital. So I don't think that we uh, I don't think we get a sense of what his. Um, Let's say his social responsibilities would be like. I think that he, um, yeah, he does feel that uh, that pull toward his own past. There's no question about that. But I don't think you ever get a sense, um, as you would with a different writer, that uh, he's resentful of Mary, or he feels that somehow Mary has cut him off from his relationships with these people that he once knew. Uh, I think that that you know just remain, remains. I think for him part of the mystery, you know, of uh, of existence. He he really is um, when he when he reflects on all those things, how far how far we've come, mm -hmm. and he has the tenderness to sing to Rufus. You know, I think everything remains very much centered on his 
family, and then, as you said, this desire for um, a kind of transcendence, you know. Um, when they go back to visit, you know, the the ancient relative. Oh, and, yeah. Isn't that a great scene, oh, too? Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that long description of her and how... Rufus would be um, the earthy smells. The earthy He's smells, got downy, downy skin, but it's very earthy. Yes, and, uh, so it's pleasant and unpleasant, and there's just a, a mix of, of concrete physical details. That yes, really pull you in. It's so cinematic. Oh yeah, and, you know that. That's where Ag's I think love of cinema. You the, know, the fractured uh, eyes. They yes. like fractured glass. You know? Yes, right, absolutely. And and there's Rufus, right? He's yeah. trying to take this in and. And uh, he doesn't quite know what to do. Mary is very worried. Remember, she says, Jay, you know what? This is not because she's so ancient. And yet you get that wonderful moment where A.G. says um, about Rufus, you know, with sudden love, he kissed her again. Yeah. It's a beautiful, I mean, that that line brings tears to your eyes. Yeah. It really, really does. You get the very, very old, very, very young. But Rufus doesn't need anyone, doesn't need his father to say, kiss her again. Yeah. He just does it spontaneously. And then she has that smile, you know, the smile is there. And uh, and then they see the little puddle yeah. right on where she's uh, been able, you know, the, she couldn't control herself. But that's okay. Yeah. And, I, uh, and I think that when I read that for the first time, I was thinking, boy, you know, with another writer, that could be really grotesque. I yeah. mean, if you wanted to use a great deal of black humor or if you wanted to just kind of, uh, you know, sort of um, brush off the whole human race and you wanted to say, you know, and yet with A.G., there's a beauty to that that's just incredible. Not, not a hint of irreverence. No, no absolutely just, in not. In fact, just the opposite, just profound reverence. And again, a reverence out of that, that beautiful refrain that you, you've kept out of uh, attentiveness, right? Right. So, and right. I love that, too, that you remind us um, that Rufus kisses her again on his own. Yes. And so in that respect, he, he, he is his father's son. Right? That's because right. Jay wants this coming together of generations. That's he has right. He that deep, deep love of the of the lasting of the past you know and they're right. they're out in the countryside and, he, and uh, age describes it really there are no roads anymore right like, right you could be anywhere yes but you're definitely somewhere because <clears throat> of the family line and because of the land and because of, you know here we are in Tennessee yes absolutely yeah, yeah love of the land and uh, is um, yeah and again everything is really based on these you know real experiences you know that uh, that A.G. had as a child, and yeah, and the father wanting to make sure they keep that connection. You know, they don't get a chance, right? They haven't seen her in a while, and it's, uh, and as you said, Tennessee is, so I was only there once, but it's, you know, driving through the mountains, it's, um, you know, have you, well, have you been in Tennessee yes, uh, quite a yes. bit? Yeah, well, you know, it's very mountainous, yeah, you know, as you know. Yeah, absolutely beautiful, yeah, and these little tiny churches, these non-denominational churches, yeah. you know, the Church of God and Christ Jesus, you know, and and uh, it's, yeah, it's a different world, uh, and um, but I just love that scene because I think it does it does demonstrate A.G.'s um, uh, A.G.'s love, really, for um, life and for the reader and yeah. for that tenderness that yeah. he doesn't want to uh, want to lose. He says, I had written it down, this is again, a let, let us now praise famous men, but 
but he says, um, this is a book only by necessity. More seriously, he says, it's an effort in human actuality in which the reader is no less centrally involved than the author and those of whom they tell. So he, so he's really looking to, I mean, later that became known as kind of reader response theory, but it's nothing, there's nothing theoretical about it. It's just the AG wants the reader to be, um, uh, to have uh, a great deal of empathy. He wants the reader to be empathic. That's really yeah. what he was looking for, is uh, empathy. And his, and in that way, he's, uh, he's closer to somebody like Dorothea Lange, you know, the photographer who took oh, yeah. the photos of, um, you know, the Madonna of the Plains. You know, Steinbeck had a copy of that on his desk. And Walker Evans's photographs are, are more detached. Uh, uh, you know, Evans was a little more... Uh, clinical and this was uh, Ag's collaborator. This was Ag's collaborator. Yeah, the one that that uh, in the beginning of Let Us Now Praise Famous Men uh, with all the photographs. Uh, Dorothea Lang was somebody who was looking for emotion. She wanted the viewer to be emotional, uh, and she thought photographs could elicit that sense of emotion. And I think um, and Ag did too. But Evans was more his collaborator was a more a little more detached. You know, a little more. didn't have, I think, the real passion that A.G. had. A.G. was, I think, passionate about everything, you know. And, um, and that's sometimes an area that makes uh, students and teachers a little uncomfortable because it, it's not just sort of unfettered or undirected emotion, but it's, in a sense, emotion that we ought to feel what we ought to feel. Right? Yeah. We ought to feel how we as human beings should feel. Right. It's part of engaging the human condition. Right. And... Uh, Art, music, uh, storytelling that has the power to, to move us in the right the right way. Yes, right, exactly. It uh, yeah, Tolstoy talks about um, the uh, how does he put it the the joyful gladness of a communion is what we ought to feel when we read something, and he lists these books he thinks that do that, and um, uh, one of them is Dickens. He loved Christmas Carol. He loved Dickens as a writer. He really did, and. Um, he said that that connectedness is really what art is all about, what great art is about. Now he didn't like Beethoven's Ninth. Uh, I mean, Tolstoy was. I mean, he had you know he had his opinions, uh, and uh, uh, and and he, he says critics will say what you know you know the Ode to Joy you know you don't like. And he said no, I, I that is not you know uh, what he felt was true religious art. He, whereas he he thought Christmas Carol was. But I think what I think the reason for that was just that you know his. Um, his serfs couldn't go to a concert. I mean, you have to be wealthy to go to a concert. Yeah, yeah. So if you're listening to Beethoven's Ninth with an orchestra, you're probably, you know, the aristocracy. You got to pay yeah. for that. And so I think that's really what it was. Although he never said that, but he, but that's what he uh, he claimed that. Uh, but he, but that was the phrase that he used. I think that uh, the 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 joyous gladness of a communion. That's really what he was looking for. It's something Eucharistic. Yeah. About uh, his his little essay on what is art is a really good essay. You guys would like that. I came to that very late. I knew that it was there, but I hadn't read it until a, a pretty long time. And the last couple pages are very, are really beautiful because they talk about what he wants true religious art to be. And he thought that it was really the, uh, the coming of Christ that changed art forever because what it did is um, it allowed, it encouraged writers to write about ordinary people. 
that you no longer had to write about pharaohs or kings or queens or aristocrats. Uh, and you look at all of the uh, heroic figures in the, in the Bible. They're ordinary, ordinary people, basically, you know. Um, and the disciples, fishermen, you know. Uh, and uh, so he, um, uh, but he was not an easy guy to live with. The, the serfs claimed he was not a very good serf. He wanted, he wanted to be a good serf, you know. He wanted yeah. to get out there and had, they had no, you know, he said, no, nah, only you go back and write. You know? <laughs> and that is a kind of a wonderful, a wonderful touch there. And um, another great, just a quick anecdote was that when um, he was about 85 and he wanted to make sure that he knew the meaning of life. So he uh, took a train to different uh, villages. Uh, there was a film made about this uh, but I can't remember the title of it. It's so interesting, though. And he took a number of books along, and one of the books he took was uh, uh, Brothers Karamazov, oh, yeah. Dostoevsky, because he and Dostoevsky were sort of rivals. It's a wonderful moment at the, toward the very end of uh, Brothers Karamazov where Ivan meets the devil. Uh-huh. And, and, of course, the devil is just this little guy, you know. It's just nothing. He says to Ivan, you're, you're expecting lightning, you know, and it, it's not the way it is. You know, evil is can be very ordinary and um but then he goes on to say the devil goes on to say that he loves reading tolstoy tolstoy really ticked off about that just couldn't, couldn't believe that dostoevsky did that really upset uh but you know it was all in good fun but then he did but but then he kept the novel in his little satchel so it was like that you know so that's great yeah that's a great story yeah well, I, I love the way you've talked about aging today. You've, um, with your own personal anecdotes, yeah, you've waxed in a, a very uh, James Agee fashion and encouraged us to enter into the novel and embrace all those wonderful human details and uh, to see something not mundane but something uh, beautiful, something uh, transcendent, and uh, something that makes us think uh, hard but but feel you know what we ought to feel. Thanks, Andrew. And, uh, it's wonderful. It's just very helpful to all of us, and such a such a joy too to be uh, across the microphone talking to my beloved professor and uh, talking about a book that we both love. My pleasure, absolutely my pleasure. I'm so glad you're here. It's so good to see you. Yeah, and, great to see uh, you. Really uh, wonderful, and I, the work you're doing is just. Uh, the Lord's work. It's great. It is really, really good. I'm, I'm really uh, pleased that you're doing that and very proud of everything that you've done. And and uh, with your wife, that's so great. Well, what a bonus that is because I didn't know you were married. and uh, Or I guess I did, you know, at one point I yeah. must have. But um, so all of my very best to her as well. And um, so it's, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Well, great. Well, let's do it again sometime. It sounds and, uh, good. There, there's so many great books and, and movies and, and pieces of music that uh, we, we both love. It'd be great to talk about them again sometime. That sounds good. I'd love to. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Classics. I hope you enjoyed the interview and we'll keep the conversation going. We have more great episodes, so please join me again and bring your friends and family. This is Andrew Zwerneman. For everyone at Kane Academy, we look forward to meeting you again on Classics.